Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. Well, friends here today, I want to start out with a question, a question directed to each of us here today, and really it's a, it's a directive for us. Will you please just take a moment, silently where you're at, to think about your spiritual walk. What is your spiritual walk really like? What does your spiritual walk consist of? How faithful are you in your spiritual walk? What are some of the aspects of your spiritual walk? And you might say, well, that's an unusual way to begin a message. But I'm convinced, and perhaps you would agree, that that's an important matter for each of us, is our walk with the Lord. How many agree with that? Our walk with the Lord is paramount for us. You know, we, we get the bills every month, and we get the, you know, have to put fuel in the car, and all the things that we do, and, and they're, they're, they're ongoing processes that we go through. But frankly, all those things are going to pass away. And one day we're going to be face to face with the Lord himself. And for some people, they think, oh, well, that's just, you know, a, a, a big story, but I'm convinced it's not. That to the, the Lord who created the heavens and the earth is all-powerful, he is mighty, and as Christopher, I think, eloquently expressed at the end of the worship, how merciful he is. Has he been merciful to you? Has, he, has he, he worked in your life in a way that you really didn't deserve? I think that would describe every believer, every true believer in the Lord recognizes the sovereignty of God and God's, you know, unmerited favor given to us, often called grace in theological circles. And like you, I've poured over the accounts of Yeshua's life. We call them the Besarot in Hebrew, the Gospels. I've poured over those accounts for many years. Some of you have poured over those accounts many more years than I have. And I've poured over those accounts of Yeshua's life. I remain totally enthralled with Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, enthralled with him. He's incomparable. There's none, none like unto him. There's no uh, human being that was ever like him. He, he's, there, he's in a class of his own, if we could say it that way. And there are so many conclusions one can draw after we encounter the Besarot, the Gospels, as we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from the Brit Chadashav, the New Because there were so many conclusions we could draw about him. And as I was thinking about Yeshua and the many different things that we could say about him, I want to present one to you that, that came to me 
that I've been pondering, and maybe you have been pondering something similar, but I've concluded that there is no disconnect between the love Yeshua expressed and the actions that were connected to that love. It's not like he said, I love you, but his actions didn't show it. In fact, his actions showed greatly his love for us. And ultimately, he laid down his life for you and me. He went through the suffering and the pain, and really, can I use the term, the torture that he went through? And he did so on your behalf and mine. And there's this idea, and I think it's a genuine idea, that as he was going through that in a way only he could, that you were on his mind. That we were on his mind. That he saw the, he saw the joy that was ahead there for him. He went through the pain knowing that there would be great benefit for us, for you and me today. And I'm thankful for that. And this idea that there's no disconnect between the love of Yeshua and the actions connected to that love, this idea is an important one for us. In some ways, it could be one of the greatest lessons we find when we study the life of Yeshua. One of the great lessons we see about our Savior was there was no disconnect there, that his words and his actions were united. You know, it's one thing to have someone say they love you, but their actions show something different. Ouch. That hurts. It's confusing. I don't see any of that with Yeshua. I see love to the max. And I'm so thankful. Aren't you thankful for today for the love of Yeshua extended to you all these centuries later? That his, his love still resonates to us and to those who will receive him and receive the love of Messiah and the grace of Messiah and the joy of Messiah and all the other superlatives we could attach to him. What a joyous homecoming it is when we come to know him. It says all the angels in heaven rejoice when one soul is saved one soul. So if you're a believer and you've given your life to the Lord, you caused a big messy bar, big party in the heavens when you came to know him. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, you need to come to know him because ultimately he's the king. He's the great judge. And we all have to contend with him, do with him. Let him embrace you in his loving arms today. Yeshua's words and his deeds they matched, and here's one of the points I want to make to you. So should ours. Our words and deeds should match. I think you would agree that when you encounter someone, or really, let me say it this way, that there's something hollow, there's something hollow, to say the least, about someone who talks well and promises much, yet does not uphold their words and their promises very well by their deeds. Now I know, don't, don't say the word politics to me, <laughs> or politicians. <laughs> but think about real life and how important it is that our words and our deeds match, that they're, they're real. When we tell someone we love them, that we really mean that. Now we do have many English language expressions that, uh, depending on which part of the country, the English language world you're in, expressions that denote this idea of, of actions and words not really matching. Let me run a few by you. You've probably heard of them. Big talk, no action. How many of you have heard that phrase before? <laughs> Big talk, no action. And this one I like. It can be applied to many things, but 
all bark, no bite. <laughs> and there's one in cowboy culture that I think is pretty hilarious. In cowboy culture, all hat, no cattle. <laughs> and the picture you get is this huge cowboy hat, and they're on their horse, and they're supposed to be gathering all the cattle, and there's no cattle there, but they got the big hat. And when I think of the words and the actions of Yeshua and his example, I'm reminding, I'm reminded of the exhortation that's recorded in 1 Yohanan, Yohanan Aleph, chapter 3, verse 18, when it says, children, aren't you glad he addresses us like that? Children, let us not love with word or talk, but in deed and truth. Will you read that with me, please? Children, let us not love with word or talk, but in deed and truth. And I think if you're like me, you find that that's a challenge at times. Got a lot of stuff can be going on inside of us that could hinder the flow of, of divine love, God's love, going through our life to others there, but it's a challenge. But Yeshua's life, if we could characterize it, we read the, the four Bessarot, the four gospel accounts of his life, we can characterize and say really that his life was a life of love in action. Love in action, there it was. From the very beginning when he's publicly revealed as the uh, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, there is love in action in what he said. He expressed his love verbally at times, but he specifically showed his love in deeds. But he did speak it. And he showed it through his words and his interaction with people. According to the gospel accounts, the Besorot, there were times when Yeshua was patient with others. There were times when he corrected others. This is love in action at times. There were times when he intervened for the good of others and for his kingdom. He intervened in circumstances. There were times when he rebuked those who were astray in their words, and he rebuked those who were astray in their teaching, and he rebuked them, and he stood against them. That's love in action. There were times when he warned people. You can't help but read Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 and come away with a warning, with a warning. There were times when he expressed his displeasure with certain attitudes that were being exhibited among his hearers or his challengers. There were also times when he encouraged others. There are times when he commended others for their words or their deeds, using words even in the parables such as, well done, thou good and faithful servant. How many of you have heard that expression before? How many would feel good if someone came up to you and said, well done, thou good and faithful servant? And I don't think you would like so much as, done horribly, thou good and unfaithful servant. You wouldn't like that. But there were times when he said things like that. And there were times when he just offered a blessing, a blessing, no questions asked to those who were brought near to him. Can, how can we forget Mark chapter 10? This beautiful picture, beginning with verse 13. Now people were bringing little children to Yeshua so he might touch them. Parents, if you have children, make sure you bring them to the Lord. That can mean making sure they're under that talit. One of the difficulties of children's ministry is not so much the children, it's the parents. <laughs> Getting the parents to cooperate. The children can't drive their own cars to get here. They depend on the parents. 
And it's such a blessing. I enjoy watching that every week to see the little kids and seeing them running up there. And then the secondary thought is, I'm so glad the parents care enough to bring them to that circumstance. Now, people were bringing little children to Yeshua so he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Verse 14 of Mark 10 says, But when Yeshua saw this, he got angry. There are times when Yeshua got upset. You can probably think of you in your understanding of the best throughout the Gospels, times when things upset him. But when Yeshua saw this, he got angry, and he told them, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And there he had an example, examples in front of him, those little children that had been brought to him to be blessed, to be touched by him. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Verily, amen, so be it, I tell you. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Friends, let me do an aside here. Make sure that you keep your walk with the Lord simple, a simple walk of faith. Don't get so complex that no one can get through to you and you can't get through to anyone else. Walk in the simplicity of faith and devotion to the Lord and you'll be much better off in this world that's getting very complex. Walk in that simplicity. Amen, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And this verse 16 is beautiful. What a picture this is. Talk about love in action. Here goes. And Yeshua took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. And to this day, we call it smichat yadayim, the extending of hands. To this day, when we pray over people, sometimes we extend a hand, we pray over them. We don't want to do that suddenly upon people we don't know. But we pray over them, and there's this picture here of praying over God's children. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. So when we bring forth our children here, place them under the talit, the talus, and that's a big talus, by the way. In a way, we're mirroring the very heart of the Messiah. He wants the children to come, suffer the little children to come unto me, as the King James says. Now, speaking of children, Scripture talks much about children. There's something encouraging and hopeful to glean from the words that we find in 1 Yochanan, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It says, Beloved, now we are children of God. If you're a believer here today, you are a child of God. Now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What a mystery. This transformation, some of the struggles you go through in your life, really, in the kingdom, they have purpose. We're meant to, as we go through these struggles, we're meant to grab hold of the hem of his garment during these struggles. And to make sure we're looking towards him, the author and perfecter of our faith, as was expressed during the liturgy. That we're looking towards Messiah, and we're grabbing hold of Messiah, and the things we go through in life that we realize there's divine purpose to those things. 
And as we will grab hold of the hem of his garment and let him lead us through these difficulties. And frankly, there is much tribulation even for believers in the world. As we allow him to lead us through them, we come to this special place of coming to know him a little bit better. And frankly, we get to also know ourselves a little better. And that's important to have a real walk with the Lord. Yet for a time in the first century, as Yeshua walked among the people of Israel, way back in the first century, you could just think back to what we know about the first century. Yeshua walked among the people of Israel, his own people. He was a Sabra, so native-born Israelite. As he walked in the land of Israel, and as he walked through the, the alleyways and the streets, as we call them now, the alleyways of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which is the eternal capital of the children of Israel. So you walk through those places. While he was doing that, there was a certain point historically where there was someone he knew quite well, a family member who was in prison. His name in Hebrew is Yochanan Hamatbil, John the Immerser, John the Baptist. And John was in prison, and Yeshua was still walking about the land of Israel and the alleyways of Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And as John was nearing the fateful hour of his earthly demise, which Scripture describes quite a bit to us, he sought assurance, and one could say even a reassurance. He sought assurance that he had not been running the race in vain. And friends, you want to make sure today in your spiritual walk that you're not running this race in vain, that you really are on the right trajectory, is that you are truly walking in the love of God and in the purpose of God, in the will of God, and in the Word of God. But he sought, he sought to know, and he wanted assurance that John, the immerser, was not running the race in vain, and he was imprisoned. After all, this Yochanan, John was the one who proclaimed boldly, proclaimed boldly out in Midbar Yehuda in the desert area of, of uh, Judah, where the river Jordan pierces through that area. He proclaimed boldly that Yeshua was who? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when you think about it, and there's no historical record to deviate from, when you think about it, this phrase applied to a human being, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, had never been applied before to a human being. Wow. How unique is our Messiah? This phrase never appears in any of the writings of that time or before applied to a human being. And here, Yohanan John proclaims down somewhere near Jericho in modern Israel. We don't know exactly where. But he proclaims and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he points to Yeshua. And we know what John said about Yeshua. He said, I must decrease so that he can increase. He said, I'm not worthy even to unlatch his sandals. But John, in his hour of prison, and in thinking probably about his own life, we don't know exactly what he was thinking, but probably reminiscing about his own life, that had to stand out to him, that proclamation, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the Son of God. No human had ever uttered that before and applied it to another human being. And he sought reassurance 
from Yeshua. John did have a prophetic understanding. It's important for us in this 21st century we live in that we not only have a, an understanding of what's going on in the world around us, but we have an accurate prophetic understanding of what's happening. And I can tell you this, here's a prophetic idea for you to latch on to. That every day that passes, we grow nearer and nearer to the Lord's return, and we don't know the day nor the hour. But I'm confident that every single moment that passes us by, every day of our life that goes by, every year that passes by, we're that much closer to the Lord's return. And regardless of what some are saying now, he is going to return, and he is, as Josh pointed out in the liturgy, he is going to place his feet on the Mount of Olives, and it's going to go split. Count on it, because God's word is true. Let God be true, and let all others be liars. And what was prophesied will come to pass. So John sought reassurance from his jail cell, unrighteously placed in jail for standing up against that which was wicked. Placed in jail, he sought reassurance about it. And here, here's, what he, here's what happened. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. John the Immerser's disciples reported to John about all these things. And if you read contextually, all these things refers to the many miracles that Yeshua did and the many things he was saying to the people. And John's Talmudim, his disciples, had gone back to John. And back in those days, there was active interaction between those in jail. And they reported to John about all these things, Luke chapter 7, verse 18. And all these things refers to the many miracles Yeshua did and what the people were saying about Yeshua. They reported that to John. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, John sent them to the Lord. He sent them to Yeshua saying this question. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? It's a curious question. I think he was seeking reassurance. Have you ever had times where you need someone to reassure you about something? You're seeking reassurance. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Verse 20. When these two disciples appeared before Yeshua, the men said, John the Immerser sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And by the way, notice that what they say to Yeshua is what John had asked them to say. How important are faithful witnesses? When you're sharing the Lord with someone, make sure you're sharing what the Word of God says. <laughs> but they repeat, basically, not a lot of fluff added into our other stuff. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In verse 21, at this very hour, at that very time, Yeshua was healing many of diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many who were blind, and answering Yeshua said to them, Go report to John what you saw and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with tzara'at, leprosy or skin infection, infectious skin afflictions, those with tzara'at are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news, the gospel, the besara proclaimed to them. And then there's verse 23. 
Blessed is he who is not led to stumble, is not offended by me. Yeshua's response to John's questions, the question was simply, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Involves seven actions, six actions on his part, and there's one on our part. The six actions Yeshua gave as examples of his love and action were number one, the blind see, number two, the lame walk, number three, those with sarahat leprosy are cleansed, number four, the deaf hear, number five, the dead are raised, and number six, and the poor have good news proclaimed to them. But then there's this seventh one. All that we read, those six, were things that Yeshua did. It was love in action to those who were afflicted. And frankly, he has never stopped showing love in action to people, including this generation, to all those who will call upon him. Because whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, delivered. But this seventh action, if I can state it this way, it involves you and me, and in a broader sense, a universal sense, all of mankind, humanity. What is that seventh one? As he said it, blessed is he who is not led to stumble, or as one translation said, who is not offended because of me. And we live in a society now where everybody's offended about everything. <laughs> Anyone else besides me ever noticed that? <laughs> Everyone's offended about everything. I know that's a general statement. It's too broad a statement. But there are many people that that's, they're constantly being offended about something. And sometimes I think it's rightfully so, and other times I think it's a bit trivial. But they're constantly offended. Blessed is he who is not led to stumble, who is not offended because of me. And indeed, when we, when we learn of the words and the deeds of Yeshua the Messiah, and we learn of his sacrifice for mankind, and let's not make that too broad, let's bring it to home base here. When we learn of his sacrifice for you and for me, Rather than be offended, we should rejoice with exceeding great gladness for what he did for us. That God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. The sin offering for us. We should rejoice and not take offense at Yeshua. You know, there are some nowadays when they study scripture, they take offense with it. I don't believe he really said that. Do you really believe he walked on the water? Those kind of questions. And I'm not mocking sincere questions because I know in Judaism and, and it's, it's highly recognizable for, in humanity that good questions are good questions. And they can, they can elicit a, a good response that's, that's helpful. But when it's a constant, constant finding fault, being offended or finding offense with things, that's trouble, I think. And we should be glad that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, his unique, his ben hayachid, his unique only begotten son for you and for me. And that the blood he shed back then still avails for us now for those who will place their trust in him. And I hope that's everybody hearing these words. But here's the crux of the matter as it pertains to us. 
Do our words and deeds, do our words and deeds show forth his love and attest to our love and commitment to him? That's a big question. Let me say it again. Do our words and deeds show forth his love and attest to our love and commitment to him? Yeshua is called to act and speak in a godly manner remains an unchanging call upon us, upon all who would name his name. Josh read previously from Titus chapter 3, and I kind of chuckled because I was planning to read from Titus chapter 2. So Titus chapter 2, and like Josh, uh, the, the, Titus, uh, the epistle to Titus is very important to me. It's a beautiful epistle. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, training us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live in a manner that is self-controlled and righteous and godly in the present age. We wait for the blessed hope and appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Messiah Yeshua. Yeshua gave himself for us so that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, and so that he might purify for himself a chosen people, a chosen people, what? Zealous for good deeds. Good deeds. Deeds that are love and action. Love and action. So Yeshua's response to John's query as John was in prison and jail that day. His query being, are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another? His response was to point out to John's two disciples who came and asked that question. Tell John what you see. Tell him what you see. And he lists all the things that had been happening. In a sense, Yeshua was exhibiting, exhibiting for us to see for all to believe if they would. He was showing us his love for mankind. It was a love that knows no boundary. You can't get so far away that God's love can't avail for you. The biggest issue becomes an internal one, an internal issue. Are you willing? Will you come to the Lord? Will you turn your life to the Lord? Will you follow him? 1 John 3, verse 16 says, We have come to know love by this. Yeshua laid down his life for us. How many like that? I do. I'm thankful that's there. And I hope even more hands go up for the next part. <laughs> we have come to know love by this. Yeshua laid down his life for us. And what's this next part? And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We don't want a gap between these two statements, these two clauses. We recognize that Yeshua laid down his life for us. Well, also, we also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, that the love of God would permeate the believing community. It would be our modus operandi, our, our means of operating. It would be the way we conduct ourselves. And if you're like me, you know that's a challenge. Because we do have people that sometimes will make us feel upset and angry. We do have people that will say things that we don't like. And may God grant us wisdom in how to deal with all these situations that come into our life. But Yeshua reached out to the most desperate 
Imagine what the throngs looked like in the first century that gathered around him. Please don't think of a pretty picture of somebody going down to see the Thunder game downtown. It wasn't anything like that. And increasingly, as the word got out about what he did and what he was doing, the very things that he told John's disciples to tell, tell John what you're seeing, the lame, the blind, the lepers. Increasingly, the crowds that gathered around Yeshua was not a pretty picture. In some cases, they, they didn't even have food. He had to feed them. And we know that he even talked about their dress. He said, don't worry, God. If God can clothe the, the lilies of the field, he can take care of you too. What gathered around him was a, a crowd of people who had many issues in their lives. And you know, he's still reaching out to all of us. The very issues we face in our lives. The things that may be more obvious and those other things deep inside that we need to get rid of. And we all have those things we need to step away from and step into the love of God and it's his provision for us. He's still reaching out by his spirit to a desperate world even now as I'm speaking. I have no doubt that right now, at this very time, there are people in Africa coming to know the Messiah. I have no doubt that right now there are people in Asia coming to know the Messiah. I have no doubt that even in this country, in the United States of America, there are people coming to know the Lord, who he's reaching out to, he's wooing, he's drawing with his tender cords of love, and by his Ruach HaKodesh, and embracing them, just as he embraced those little children, and wanting to bless them and to lead them away from a life that is lacking true blessing, he's still reaching out. Matthew 11, verse 28 says this. It's one of the commands of the new covenant. It says, come to me. That's one of the commands of the new covenant. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me. I will give you rest. He is the Lord of the Shabbat, the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, there's one other passage before we conclude concerning this that I want to read to you. It's from Luke chapter 5, verse 12. Now, while Yeshua was in front, is it was in one of the towns, a man covered with sara'at appeared. Sara'at is infectious skin disease, often translated as leprosy, but it was more than leprosy. While Yeshua was in one of the towns, a man covered with sara'at appeared. Now, there's a picture for you, isn't it? And when he saw Yeshua, he fell on his face and begged him, saying, Master, if you are willing, you can make me clean. We're introduced to this man at this point in his life. We don't know how God had been dealing with him up to this point. Somewhere along the line, he had heard that in Yeshua there was hope. And friends, whatever you're facing today, in Yeshua, there's hope for you. Somewhere along the line, and we're not told the backstory to this, but somewhere along the line, he had learned that in Yeshua, there was healing. And in Yeshua, there's healing for you today, whatever you may be facing. Somewhere along the line, this man who was covered with sarat had learned that 
in Yeshua, in Yeshua, there was health, healing, direction, everything you can imagine. He was all in all. It says that, Master, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So what did Yeshua do? I think it's beautiful what he did. Yeshua stretched out his hand, and he did exactly what he did with the children. It's as if this one with Zerah was one of his children. He stretched out his hand, and he touched him, saying, I am willing, and he's willing for you today if you will turn to him, whatever it is you're struggling with. I am willing. Be cleansed. And I love the solution that comes immediately. You can just picture this. Actually, we can't because none of us have ever seen this happen. But imagine the Sarahat left him at that point. Now, friends, I want to leave you with this idea. Is it possible that this picture of a man covered with Sarahat, is it possible that in a sense this is a picture of fallen humanity, dead in our trespasses and sins? I think it is. It's a picture that goes beyond the original scene. Because this man who's hopelessly afflicted, according to the text that we read, afflicted with leprosy, be a picture of each human being dead in sin, hopeless in sin, no way to get rid of that sin. Could that be a picture of that? Could this be a picture of an individual who recognizes that they've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that also recognizes that to cry out to the master, Yeshua, is the solution to the problem because he laid down his life for us. Could it be a picture of that? I believe it is. Because until Yeshua touches our lives, your life and mine, and we receive through trusting in him the forgiveness of our sins, it's as if we are eternally a leper. Where are we going to get rid of that leprosy, that sarahat? How will we get rid of it? Some say, well, modern medicine, not really. <laughs> How will we get rid of that leprous state? Only he can cleanse us. Only he can heal us. Only he can lead us in the way that's everlasting for his name's sake. Because the word of God is true. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're in a leprous state without the Messiah. But the gift of God is eternal life, as the book of Romans says. The gift of God is eternal life through faith, through trusting in Yeshua as your Lord and Savior. And I hope that's you today. I hope there's no doubt in your heart and mind and in your actions that Yeshua is your Lord and Savior. It's not a matter of who's sitting next to you. It's a matter of who's residing at the very core of your being, at the throne of your heart. Is that the Messiah that resides there? Or is it you or something or someone else? It must be the Messiah at the core. He's the king. No one else fits that place, that throne, that kisei, except him. And if you're a believer, let him come more fully into your life. Please stop holding back areas of your life from him. Relinquish it all. Give him your all. Present yourself as a korban chai, a living sacrifice to him. May our lives, if we are believers, show forth the love of the Messiah. Our words, our actions. Isaiah chapter 1. 
seems so much like the book of Romans in what it espouses. Isaiah chapter 1, beginning with verse 16. Isaiah said centuries ago, 2,700 years ago, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil. Notice the next thing he says, learn, learn, learn. It is a learning process. Learn to do good. Learn. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Verse 19 is a crux point in this text. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. If you are willing and obedient. Verse 20 says this. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Will you please stand? You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat. And we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.